welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 20th, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. In today's text, St. Paul teaches the Corinthians concerning the resurrection body that Christ will give to his people when he returns on the last day to raise the dead from their graves. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Andrew Belt. Pastor Belt serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be with you today. As we get started today, give us some context. What should we know about this epistle and what Paul's been talking about, especially in this chapter leading up to our section of chapter 15 today? Well, you know, uh, Paul's letter here in 1 Corinthians is it's a brilliant letter because it, it, it just covers a lot of stuff. And as we read through it, right, Paul's writing this because, well, some, some of the members of the congregation have come to Paul and they have brought with him a, you know, a laundry list of questions. Like, all right, Paul, we have questions about this, about spiritual gifts. We have questions about, you know, the Lord's Supper. We have questions about the resurrection. And so they come with this list and also probably they've added on, say, hey, and also there's this going on in the congregation, uh, whether it be the factions or the divisions the spiritual kind of pride um, that they're having, uh, and it's kind of to the detriment of their fellowship, um, you know, and this is what Paul will get into, especially in the love chapter, you know, they, they're so concerned about all this, about looking good and, and, and having all these impressive display of gifts, and yet they, they lack perhaps the most fundamental and most important gifts. Um, so, you know, Paul makes his way through this entire argument, and now as we get into chapter 15, he's uh, gotten onto the part with, okay, you've had questions about this and, and questions about that. And chapter 15 is where we get the most detailed instruction in the New Testament, uh, you know, in the whole scriptures, detailing the, the resurrection of our bodies, uh, the importance of the resurrection, the fact, one, that it's going to happen. Uh, you know, that's Paul kind of lays that down first things first. Um, the resurrection is going to happen, you know, because it's happened to Christ. And since it's happened to him, you know, here's what we can expect as well. Um, and so as we get into chapter 15, especially in our verses here today, uh, we discover Paul, you know, discussing and kind of fleshing out, as we could say, um, what the new, what our bodies are going to be like on that great day when Jesus Christ returns. Um, so a lot of beautiful insight that we're going to have today. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So any, I mean, from the verses that we've covered so far in chapter 15, anything particular to point out before we jump into the, the section we've got today? Right. Well, I, you know, we live in a culture today that struggles with the concept of, I mean, resurrection. You know, we have that kind of Gnostic, yeah. our bodies are but vessels. You, you hear this language a lot. Um, who cares what happens to our bodies or what we do or how we use them? Um, and, and Paul's day, you know, he had very many similar problems as well. It, we can remember back in the book of Acts, you know, chapter 17, when Paul's in Athens. And, and when he gets to the resurrection, what do people say? They, they laugh him off. Um, the idea of the, you know, the, the body being made eternal, of being immortal, uh, incorruptible, you know, for the ancient world and even for our own day is, is laughable to many. And so, you know, they ridicule Paul over this point. And in the book of Acts, you know, he goes to Corinth next. 
And so it's no surprise then that the people in Corinth are struggling with this concept too, because in the, the Greek world, the concept of the resurrection, that's, you know, they might have some thought of the, the soul living on or something like that, but, you know, flesh and blood, that, no, that, that, that was completely foreign to them. Um, and so as he's getting to this, you know, chapter today, what's kind of gone on before is, okay, guys, the resurrection is going to happen, right? And here's why we have Christ. And, and you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, and if he has been, therefore, we too are also going to experience this as well. So he's gotten into, you know, maybe some of the odd practices uh, that you've covered in the episode here prior with uh, what does it mean to be baptized or, uh, on behalf of the dead, um, right? Which that's a whole different discussion. But the point being there, right, is if there is no resurrection, then why are you guys doing this? Or he even gets in, you know, with a little bit to say, what's the whole point of uh, uh, suffering, of going through all this trial? And if Christ isn't raised, as he says, we're so pathetic. You know, our whole point of our life and our faith is useless. And we're in our sins still if there's no resurrection. You know, it's kind of you know, what I've heard and what I always like to say with it. Um, the crucifixion of Christ is where he pays the bill and, you know, Sundays when he, the check, you know, cashes in. It doesn't bounce. Um, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It, nothing's been paid for. So here the resurrection is, is tied into that life of Christ, the work he's done for us. Uh, and therefore, it's also the guarantee and the hope of our own resurrection that, we too will be like Christ. We will take on that image. We'll become like him. Um, and so there's a lot of great hope. This is central, right? When we do funerals, when we do, um, you know, looking forward to the coming again, you know, Jesus, straighten up your backs and look up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. And it's not just a, a spiritual redemption, though it is that. It is also physical. It is tangible. It is something I will see and touch and hear and experience. And, and how what a joy that is that the resurrection is our whole being. Um, and that's, that's going to be a lot into this section here too today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The section we have today is, is perhaps includes one of the more familiar parts of this section for, for many of many Christians today who've been to Christian funerals and especially Christian burials, because part of this chapter is often read beside the graves of those who have died in Christ. So a familiar text, a very important text, and in many ways a capstone to much of what Paul has said throughout this epistle, in which he began with the importance of Christ crucified. Now he's also going to remind us of the importance of Christ risen and what that means for us. So 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at the verse 35, is our text for today. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I think I'm going to pause there in our reading because there is so much here, and, and it's often a bit dense. We've got to unpack this. So I'll pause there at verse 49, and we'll pick up the rest of the text. I'll read that later. So Pastor Belt, in this first part of our text, as Paul talks about the resurrection body, he brings up these questions. Uh, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And given the way that he responds in verse 36, I don't think these are the types of questions that perhaps you and I would receive as a pastor, like, well, pastor, when I'm raised from the dead, what will my body be like? Wanting information. These seem, again, based on the way he responds, seem like maybe a bit more scoffing behind these questions. Right. And, you know, this comes to mind of the Sadducees who come up to Jesus and they, you know, oh, hey, Jesus, uh, we have a, a story for you that's going to prove to you just how absurd the resurrection is, right? And so remember, the, there's a man and a wife, they're married, they don't have kids, the husband dies, guess what? There's seven brothers, they all get married, no children, they all die, oh, you know, what in the resurrection? And, you know, Jesus, <laughs> neither do you know the scriptures nor the power of God, yeah. right? There's that same the, the audacity of the resurrection, we might say, right? And Jesus is here, no, that you just don't know how God is. And so, this question probably reflects that same kind of haughty, like, yeah, okay, Paul, if the dead are really going to be raised, how's that going to look, right? Um, yeah. And we have that today, right? How often do we hear people out there when it comes around Easter of zombie Jesus? Um, right. You know, oh, yep, that's how it is. And no, right? And Paul's going to detail there's going to be glory to this body that's coming, right? It's not like it's shove this body away. This isn't important. It's connected, but it's going to be a glorified body. Um, and so Paul's going to level it out. But right here, as he responds to this, you know, this hypothetical question that no doubt he's hearing about, and he knows the tone, right? He knows these people. He's been there for over a year and a half with them. And so he knows what they're coming at and what they're saying with this question. And so he has that kind of a sharp, and a lot of our, lang our translations, right, kind of soften that. He says, you foolish person. Uh, the Greek just has it, you fool, right? It's just kind of like, come on, guys. Like, if you establish the fact there's a resurrection, right? You know, we got to get over this fact. Um, and, and it's not going to be what you're thinking, right? It's not just uh, we're going to patch you up and you're going to be falling apart again. Uh, that's not yeah. going to be how it is. Yeah, uh, that's right. Okay, so Paul's, Paul's responding to the scoffing, the haughty position here. And as he does so, he does teach the truth concerning the resurrection body. And he does so by employing a number of, of pictures. So the first one that he uses is a farming picture, and he talks about seeds being sown. Uh, help us into this first image Paul, Paul uses. Yeah. So what I love here, you know, since Paul's established the facts of the resurrection, he then goes into images, just like Jesus does, of things that we see around us that can help relate to this, um, which kind of shows you it, it, when we understand what the creation is saying, right, the, the the Bible all over the place is telling us that the creation is singing and proclaiming the praises of God. Um, we can misunderstand that, especially in our dark, and, and we can come up with you know, our own ideas. But when we understand the truth of God's Word, we can look around and we can see that this is also how the creation is working too. Um, so he points to the fact of when we, a, a simple farmer who, who plants seed in the ground, um, and he brings up that, that idea of what you sow, right, is not what comes up, right? So when you plant a 
you know, corn, you know here in Wisconsin, we have all sorts of uh, various crops that we grow. Uh, but you know, corn, when that's put in the field, when you put that little seed in there, it doesn't come up with, as a seed. Uh, it comes up as the stalk and, and the bud, and then the corn grows out of it. Um, and Paul is going to liken that image then. He's like, see how that corn grows, and when it comes up, it comes from the seed, but it's not the seed anymore. It is the, well, this new body, a um, resurrected. So he's going to kind of apply the same image, right? When we put that body into the ground, right, what comes out is not that body. It's going to be a glorified new body. So it's kind of that idea of the continuation of what was put in the ground, but it's also there's some that discontinuity, right? There's something new. There's something changed about it um, than what yeah. was put in the ground. So that farming image is that first one he kind of employs there, um, which I think a lot of people, especially in our rural settings and context, would get right away uh, when you yeah, see that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and I, I appreciate the the words you used both of. There's a continuity between this body and the resurrection body. But there's also a discontinuity between this right. body and the resurrection body. And it's important to keep both of those things in mind as we think about why this teaching is important, so that we don't abuse the body that we have right now, but also so that we don't neglect the hope that we have for the resurrection body that is is to come. And so, I, yeah, I think those two words are, are ones that are, are helpful, continuity and discontinuity. And we see how Paul talks about both. The first one being with the matter of, of planting the seed, which he even calls it a, a bare kernel. Uh, talk a little bit about, which maybe even adds another layer of, of imagery into here with the term a bare kernel. Right. Uh, you know, that word, the bare, we get the idea of naked, right? The, the body is naked in death. Um, Paul talks about this way. We don't want to be unclothed, Right? We'd rather be further clothed when he's talking about being away from the body and at home with Christ. Um, so he's, trying, he's balancing a lot of thoughts and ideas here. Right? Death isn't the goal. Right? We don't, dying is not part of God's plan for creation. God is going to bring something more glorious out of it, um, as it were. But you know, what is sown, our body, is naked. It's, uh, it's waiting. And we're waiting for that, the resurrection to clothe us in, in a new body, a new life, uh, eternal life with God. And Paul will, will detail some of that. And, right, and this whole image, right, <clears throat> what, what Paul's going to even do later on um, is you keep Jesus in view. So I, I imagine that Paul is picturing Christ right now, right? He, he's thinking about him, right? The tomb is empty. So it's not like, here's Jesus. He has a new body over here, but hey, what's that still in the grave, right? It's the same body that's raised, but this body that Jesus has is, is glorified and it's made new, and so I'm sure Paul, as he's detailing this, he's thinking of Jesus, because this has already happened to Jesus. And since we are connected in Christ, he's picturing this for us as well, uh, since this is our Lord, and we will be like our Lord. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even Jesus used this language to refer to his own death and resurrection in John chapter 12, where he talks about, unless the seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies and I forget the, ex I'm paraphrasing, but it begins, it bears fruit. Right. right. So, I mean, it sounds like Paul's even just riffing off what Jesus says there in John chapter 12 in many respects. Yeah. And, you know, what I love that passage with Jesus connecting with this idea is that Jesus sees his resurrection then as what bears our resurrection. Yep. Uh, with him being the resurrection of life. And so I'm sure this is what Paul's also, you know, thinking through in his head as he's seeing, yeah, well, this is how it is with Jesus. So this is how it's going to be with us too. Uh, yeah. So keep that in mind as, as we go through the verses, too. 
So in verse 38, it seems that there's a bit of a hinge there because Paul brings out that God is the one who gives the body as he has chosen. And he, he's still using the seed language, but he's going to talk about how God gives then different kinds of bodies going forward. So verse 38 seems like a bit of a, a hinge, a transition from one image to the next. Right. Well, with this verse, right, when we read verse 38, that God gives, um, God is active. He's the creator, right? It just doesn't happen without his say-so, without his knowledge, without his giving, um, his lordship, right? He is almighty. And as we read this verse, he's the one that gives. He's the one that supplies um, and he's still doing this. So we still see him, he's in charge of his creation, right? So it's not like he's abandoned this and you know he's going to change this, but God cares about his creation. He actively supports it, right? We can go to Luther's Catechism as we think through, right, the first article or the uh, first article of the Creed or the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And, and when Luther deals with that, he talks about how God provides and cares and defends and supports and he gives all of this for daily life now. Um, so while we are looking forward to the renewal and the, the new creation of all things, um, yet here God, He still is providing yet today. Um, he still cares about this life. And, and it's kind of even maybe further proof that just as He cares for this life, He's going to care even more for the life that is to come, um, to kind of grab that hinge there a little bit. But sure, yeah. yeah, I mean, and bringing up the articles of the, the Creed, I think, is helpful. Even going all the way into the third article with the work of the Holy Spirit, that not only does He... He call, gather, enlighten his church, but he keeps his church. So this, you know, this is God's action in giving us this life, in redeeming this life, and in finally raising this life on the last day. This is all all God's action. Verse 38 very much emphasizes the work of God in creation and then in the recreation in the resurrection of the dead. To each kind of seed its own body, he says. And so from there, then, he, he does, it seems, make a, a bit of a shift, and he says, not all flesh is the same, and he begins to talk about various aspects of God's creation and the way that God has, has created, and, and he talks about animals, right, people, animals, and then he talks about things that really aren't, aren't living necessarily, but are a part of God's creation. So help us connect some of these dots here. Yeah. You know what I love, um, as verse 39 and kind of 40, you know, as they start marching through, Paul starts listing the different things of creation. And when we think about back in Genesis 1, when God created, right, we have days 1, 2, and 3. And that day, God creates the space, right? So he creates the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates the water, the land, the dry ground, right? And he, so he creates these, these spaces, and then on days 4, 5, and 6, he fills them. Um, so the creatures, right? So in the, the heavens, the stars go, and into the sea, the fish go, the sky, the birds fly there, on the, on the earth are the the living creatures, the mankind, you know, and all of that. Um, and what I love here is that Paul starts working backwards um, from creation, right? So he's thinking, all right, on day six, humans, and then he starts going into animals, and, you know, he's thinking day five with the birds and, you know, the, the fish, and he goes into day four with the heavenly bodies, right? So he's kind of counting backwards. So he starts at day six and then works backwards. And, and when we see this in Genesis, right, the, the stars, we don't really think of them as, you know, living beings and they don't they're not alive like we are per se but yet they are creatures and they have a body right they there's something about them that takes up that space um it it shows forth glory um and so paul here will list that there's different kinds of flesh right the the flesh that covers something and you know our flesh you know the skin the muscle the, the meat as we might say um 
And, and so I kind of find that interesting as Paul's working backwards. He's talking about the different bodies. And he's going he's gonna to hinge this a little bit again when he talks about the resurrection. But he kind of sets us up with this, these verses talking about, okay, look out the creation. You know, he's almost like, hey, look outside. Um, look at the sky out at night. Hey, take a look at the, when you go fishing. You see the, the fish. You see the animals. Uh, look at your fellow man, right? See, all the, see what God has given right now. Um, and look at the glory that he has assigned to each. And then he's going to you know, hinge that into the resurrection, that there's also going to be different glories. There's, you know, there's different bodies, um, different kinds. You know, that, that, there's that Genesis language again, the, the kinds yeah. of creatures. Um, there will be a kind on the new heaven and new earth, too. So in, just trying to, to keep this in context with those initial questions of skepticism that were brought up, like how, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? It's as if Paul is responding then to those questions, at least in part, by inviting the Corinthians to think about the work of God in creation. Like, well, how how are the dead raised? How are they going to have a different kind of body, or what kind of body is it? Well, think about what God has already done in creation. He gave this type of body to people. He gave this type of body to certain animals. He's given this type of body to the heavenly heavenly creations. So if he if he did that in the first creation, why would you doubt or question his ability to do so in the new creation? Again, especially in light of what he has already done in the resurrection of Jesus. Right. And you know, what I love with that thought too, when you talk about the the kinds, when you talk about what God has given, we notice that the different the bodies. Um, that these aren't sinful, right? The creation isn't right. sinful, right? This is before creation was marred by our sin. So when God created it, it's all good. And so when he gives us again in the new creation, when there's the different kinds, as we would say, of body, that's going to be well, good. That's going to be very good, right? It's going to be excellent um, to kind of continue on with that same idea. So, right, it, it's not like the differences in the different kinds is bad. Um, it's actually good and it's actually glorifying of God. And, you know, when we, when we have that sin removed and purged from us and having these new bodies, um, we will rejoice in those kinds. Um, it won't be something that we're envious or why did I get this and not that. Um, it's all part of what God gives, and we will enjoy all, every aspect of that. So, and, and thinking about the, the various kinds of bodies and connecting this to creation, although Paul here is primarily focused on the resurrection body, because that's where he's about to make that turn, I think the fact that he does bring up the various kinds of, of bodies in all of creation testifies to the fact that Paul is expecting a new heavens and a new earth. Mm. The redemption that he's looking forward to involves a renewal of all of God's creation. And even, even in the way that he speaks here with these various kinds of bodies being according to the way that God chose, it reminds me of the language he used back in chapter 12 to talk about the body of Christ, the oh, yeah. church, how God is the one who arranged it. And so in the new creation, God is going to arrange his creation perfectly with even better bodies for us and for all creation in this renewal. I mean, I'm saying, I think there's a number of connections that we can make, even as Paul does keep that focus on the resurrection body. I see a lot of connections to, to other places in this epistle and throughout yeah. the scriptures. You know, and that's, uh, I think, testament to just the creativity one of the Word of God. Um, but yet, how Paul, he's thinking about this, he doesn't have this a very limited, you know, tunnel vision kind of approach to this. Um, and sometimes I think maybe we do, right? We're thinking, you know, Jesus, he came to save, well, my soul. But if we had the idea of even my body, right, we're thinking just, you know, a select few people whom he's plucking from a sinking ship. Uh, but, you know, Paul's vision and the Scripture's vision here 
is not just a, a few fortunate souls, um, but the whole sink and ship, right? That's all part of God's plan for renewal and regeneration and, and you know, the whole thing. And the cosmos, right? The, as, you know, the Greek, the tapanta, right? everything. Um, yeah. God has in store for all things, and that's beautiful. Um, yeah, and, you know, that's... We're, we're, he starts with us, but it's continue with everything else. Right. Well, and, and that's where I think, you know, the way that he speaks here about the whole creation, it, it ties into, you know, what we read elsewhere in the scriptures, that all creation declares the glory of God. And if, if that's true now, how much more so will be, that be true, again, in the resurrection when the Lord returns? Or even, you know, Romans 8, the whole creation is suffering, it's longing, it's crying out, right? It's a, it's, and what's it waiting for? For the sons of God to be revealed, right? The us, when, when God reveals the glory in us on the last day uh, through His Son, um, the whole creation will then be free from that bondage too. So you know, we, we see this language all over the scriptures, and it's one of those things when you see it, you can't miss it. Um, so it's everywhere. Yeah, that, that's right. So uh, yeah, I think, I think the way that He speaks here, it, it, eventually, as we, as we start to move into verses 42 and following, you'll see that I think his, one of the primary things he's accomplishing is just like there are different kinds of bodies now in creation, so the resurrection body is going to be a different kind of body than this natural body. But again, I, I think it's more than just an, an example. I think there is something to you know what we're talking about here, that this is a, a Paul having this cosmic picture that the Scriptures give of what redemption is, that when, when Christ has been raised from the dead— that brings the hope of the first fruits, which includes us, but it includes his entire work of creation that he's going to renew, which again is going to have implications when we think about what this resurrection body's like and the physical nature of it, as we'll talk about. I mean, we're talking about a new creation, not just kind of floating around in on clouds or something mm-hmm. like that. This is a very uh, wor- worldly in the sense of physical, a, a, right. a real creation is what we're talking about here. Amen. Yeah, so we're going to pick up more of then how Paul takes this example and applies it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andrew Belt this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 20th. We're studying 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 58 with Pastor Andrew Belt. He serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, prior to the break, we were looking at Paul's language concerning the different kinds of bodies that God gives. He works his way through creation. And as you pointed out, he works his way backward from 
day six to day four, as he talks about these various kinds of bodies, different kinds of glories. In verse 42, then, he especially makes the point that he's driving at. He says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. And he starts a series of contrasts. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. And again, he kind of goes back and forth on this in a number of respects. Help us with the move Paul makes beginning in verse 42. Yeah. So he does, right? This is his punch. What he's been saying so far is leading up to this very point. Um, and he says that, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What's one kind is going to be made into a different kind. And the one kind that we experience right now, we all we, here's the creation that we live in now, is that it is perishable, right? It dies. Um, so what is sown, what is put into the ground, what dies, you know, it, it go, that's where it all goes. But what's going to be brought out of it is something that's going to be imperishable. It, it won't die. It won't have an expiration date. Um, it won't grow old. It won't decay. It, you know, it, it kind of put all of these words on it. Um, for Paul's idea, it, it will be indestructible in that sense. It won't be subject to disease or decay. Um, it's going to be free from those things, and God's going to give that. Um, so that in his first example there, when he talked about perishable and imperishable, um, he's making that kind of jump there. Yeah. What about the next one, the the matter of dishonor or glory? Mm. You know, uh, if, you know, if you've ever been to a funeral, if you've ever seen the cat, if you've ever been there when someone has died, um, it is, you know, talk about an ultimate shame, dishonor. Mm. It doesn't look good. It, it doesn't, you just look at it, it's almost aghast. Um, and it's almost embarrassing and not just almost, it is. And there's no, you know, we, we have that, you know, an honorable death or something like that. We kind of have that language here today, dying with dignity. And death, by, and it's just not dignity. It just isn't. Um, is the undoing of what God has made. It's, you know, the, the sights, the sounds, the smells. It's just, it's not good. Um, and that's what's being brought to attention here. What is what's sown is dishonor. Um, but what's raised, it'll be raised in glory. Um, the glory that Jesus has, indestructible, right? You look at Christ and he, he has the puncture wounds and, and that's not bringing him down. Um, he's better than he was before. It's a body that's it's made whole. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the same thing. And, he has, and then he has that next connection. What's sown in weakness is then raised in power. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, you, yeah, you know those two, final steps. Yeah, go ahead. To what you were saying about the the matter of, of shame and, and honor and those kinds of things in death, uh, as you were talking, I was reminded of the way Luther speaks in the small catechism, especially around the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, where part of what we are praying for is that God would grant to us a blessed end. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, our, our world today has perhaps a, a number of ideas about what that would actually mean, but truly the only blessed end, the only blessed death there is, is the one that is in Christ, because because in Christ we live, and that's true even at the moment of death, and it's especially true when he returns. So this this matter of being sown in dishonor or shame, that even we as Christians still experience in part, all of that will be reversed on the last day when Christ returns and raises the body in glory. And something that kind of jumps out at the page for me, too, is Paul's talking about this, and he's listing this. Um, even when, you know, he's talking about sow, sowing the body, uh, putting it, there's almost a, a reverent treating of the body, right? There's not a, a throwaway, there's not disperse it to the heavens kind of concept right here. There's a, it is put somewhere, it is treated respectfully, uh, not, not because it's in dishonor, but because of what is going to happen 
to the body, right? That God is not done with the body, that he's not through with it. He actually still cares for it. Um, and he has plans for that body that is, is laid. Um, and so as, as Christians have the opportunity, as we see it in our eyes, as we live that faith too, even in death, um, we have great hope and we have great expectation for what is sown, um, even though it is in weakness and in dishonor and perishable, uh, because what is going to happen to that body? Yeah, that's right. And that's where, you know, again, this matter of continuity matters and, and it affects the way that we we treat those who have died in Christ when it comes to funeral preparation, but that discontinuity does as well, that that we know that, yes, this is the body that will be raised, and it will be raised with glory. And so right now, even though we may see shame in that, or we may see weakness, uh, we, we bury it in the, the expectation of the glory and strength that God will provide. At the same time, knowing that this body is the one that has died, that also influences the way that, that we treat the body, and, and we we don't try to pretend that that this body has not died. I mean, right. so again, there's there's a number of, of very practical applications of, of the way Paul speaks to our, our practices concerning death and dying, funerals, burials, and of course the, the Christian funeral service. Though, though no one no one enjoys necessarily that, the way that we are able to mourn with hope uh, is truly a joy. That yeah. you know, when, when you have the opportunity to go to a Christian funeral, especially for those you love or those that perhaps are members of your congregation, uh, go to be a part of that and express that hope that we have in Christ. It truly is, is something that you, you just won't get anywhere else no. outside of the Christian church. You know, and you, th- you always, I always find this interesting when I've, when I've had funerals here, and, and usually there's a lot of people either unbelieving or, you know, maybe they just don't have that Christian connection. And so many times I've, we've got down to the service and I've heard the comment, I have never heard anything like that before. And I'm just, you know, I, I'm like, well, I'm not really being brilliant. Half of what was done was just you know, straight from the liturgy and fr- straight right. from God's Word. Um, and you know, so I kind of marvel at that. You know, it's almost like we have, <laughs> we shouldn't be, we have this like hidden gem uh, in terms yeah. of, with respect to this teaching and the hope that we have. And, you know, when, when you actually state that clearly, the hope that, hey, because this person's in Christ, and that means they're going to be raised from the dead, you're going to see them again. In a glorified body that's not that's going to be better than what they were if you knew them in their prime, right? It changes how you see things. Uh, and to hear that because of what Christ, and this you know, centers on the work that Christ has come. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. He, he has destroyed the fear of death that the devil had over us, right? He has death and Hades as keys in his hand, right? Um, what a beautiful image that we have. And we can just say that, that Christ is the Lord even over the dead. Um, yeah. And that fits well with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the message then that is proclaimed at Christian funerals, as you're saying, is the message that continues to be needed to be proclaimed at all times, because death is that that great equalizer that all of us face. Mm-hmm. And and we need Christ who has conquered death and who will raise us from the grave on the last day. So tons of tons of hope in this text. Now, as, as Paul continues with these contrasts, uh, one that comes up that I think is is ripe for confusion, especially in our day and age, is where he says there is it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. How should we understand the difference between a natural body and yeah. a spiritual body? You know, when we hear the word, I think, spirit or spiritual, um, we kind of get, you know, abstract ideas that come into our head. Or we, when I hear spiritual today, what often I, I hear behind that sometimes is the um, immaterial, like not there, not here. Um, but that's not what Paul's getting at. When he's talking spiritual, he's almost, he, he's talking about this 
other kind of body. It's no less physical. It's no less tangible than what I you know, can see and touch and hear right now. Um, but it's just a different kind. It, it's part of that glory. It's, it's part of that power. Um, and, and uh, you know, I love Luther's reflection on it. You know, Luther, his, his imagination kind of runs wild at this point. Uh, and he talks about how you know, Christians with their new bodies will you know, play with the stars and the heavens like you know, putty and things like that, whether you, you will or not, who knows. But Luther here, he's, he's just letting this, his imagination just run wild. And we should too, a little bit, right? What God is going to do, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what God has in store. Um, but to be tied into God's life in this way with our resurrected body, to be just, in, you know, kind of, uh, I guess the image here is just infused with the Spirit of God so much that every fiber of our being is just life. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection of life, and he's giving that gift to us. Um, so that when we talk about that, that natural body, um, it's what we see in front of us right now, right? It's just the, our human limitation um, and everything like that. But the, the spiritual body is that which is infused with God's spirit and life. Um, yeah. no, nothing less physical. Yeah, that's right. The The difference between the two is not the physicality. And I think the, the full context of what we've been reading and talking about makes that abundantly clear. Paul has just talked yeah. about the very physical things that God has created and the way that he is going to recreate in the resurrection. So we're very much talking about physical bodies. The difference between the natural and the spiritual, then, is that which enlivens them. And, and in this natural body, I am enlivened, I guess, with this life, with this life that is passing away, that is tainted by my sin. That is what enlivens this natural body. Right. That which will enliven my spiritual body is the Spirit. And I, I love the way you made that connection. I think whenever we see that word spiritual, for us as Christians, we want to be thinking of the work of the Spirit, God mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, and that's the way we need to rightly understand that word so we don't fall into some of those traps of the world today. Right. That's the body that we will have, one that's not enlivened by this life that passes away, but is enlivened by the Spirit himself in such a way that it will not pass away. That's right. the spiritual body. So physical, absolutely. And, you know, I think we can also see when uh, you talk about Jesus, um, you know, even though he's fed, like, hey, where's some fish? I'll, I'll eat it. That's not what's going to give him life. You get that, right. like, that sense when he's eating fish. He's not doing it because he's hungry. He's doing it to prove he's physical. He's real. Right. He, he can touch and see things and, and eat them. Um, but what's keeping Jesus alive is not that fish meal he just ate, but rather it is, is God, um, right? That he's tied into that. He's like that spirit now even more so. Um, think about, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, the spiritual body is going to be fed and sustained and nourished by that word of God, that our Lord Jesus Christ, who is that word made flesh. Mm. Yeah. So this conversation, then the contrast between the natural body and the spiritual body, then leads Paul to the contrast between Adam and Jesus, which we've seen him do elsewhere in other places in, in his epistles. Uh, what's he doing here, especially in verses 45 and following, where he starts to compare Adam and Jesus? Yeah, verses 45 through 49 here, he starts, you know, he's trading thoughts between Adam and Christ. And, and he's got, as he pictures Adam in one way, he then shows how Christ fulfills and makes it better. So, you know, we, we see Adam is, you know, the, the founder, right? he's the first human that we have all come from. Uh, but now that Christ has come, he is a new Adam, a second, a final Adam. And so with, with that title comes the idea of a new humanity. And so that kind of keeps that same image of Paul with a different kind. Uh, so just as we belong to the kind that has come from Adam, 
Now, because of Jesus Christ, we belong to his kind. Um, so our bodies are going to take on the image of Christ, no longer now of Adam. Um, and once again, that still has that, that continuity there, right? It's from Adam. Adam is made in the image of Christ, so are we. But now it's like there's something that's changed about that too at the same time uh, that wasn't there before. Yeah, now, now the, the one verse that kind of stands out a little bit in this section, because he does a lot of this back and forth again all the way through verse 49, but in verse 46 he, he does acknowledge the spiritual wasn't first, the natural, then the spiritual. That, that one stands out just as a slightly different way of speaking in the middle of all this. Yeah, it, and it's kind of curious, you know, and you look it up, is not really sure why Paul just kind of comes out and says this. I, I think maybe maybe it's just the observation, well, why didn't God do that first then? Right? Yeah. If, uh, if this is the spiritual that's coming, well, why do we have the natural to begin with? I think maybe that's what Paul kind of connects to in his head. He's talking about, oh, yeah, there's Adam and then there's Christ. And then maybe some people, maybe the next sarcastic question is, uh, well, then why didn't God just do that to begin with, right? right. Um, and I think Paul here is just given a proper order of things. There's this first, this is what came, but now God has brought something even better and more glorious. Um, you know, just kind of connecting with that, this has been the plan all along, um, that God has taken our sin and our fall into sin. And it's not that he does it because of it, he does it in spite of it. Right? He's making about something new, something greater, something better. Um, so as we reflect on these verses, right, that the life that God has given naturally is, is wonderful and beautiful. It's sin which has marred it. But now that sin has come, something needs to change. And now Christ comes to glorify and make that life even better um, as well. So then the, the rest of our section here, verses 47 to 49, the main, the main contrast is you've got the first man who's of the earth and dust, that's Adam. You've got the second man who is from heaven, and it... it it just matters which one you're connected to. Give us the, the conclusion here of this yeah. section. So as Paul kind of wraps up this thought in this section here, um, he then talks about just as Adam was and we were in him, now because we are in Christ, it's going to be this way too. Uh, so just as we've born that image of the man of dust, the, the earth guy who goes back into the earth, uh, so too will we bear the image of the one who has come, come down from heaven, but the one who has come out of the grave. Um, and we will take on his image and his likeness. I think a, a First John Right, uh, we will see First John three. Right, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Um, there, there's that thought here too. Uh, we will take on the image of the man of heaven. So that last twinkling at the trumpet sound, right? Boom! Right, we will have bodies that will be changed and, and made glorious. All right. So that brings us to where we left off in the reading. We pick up the text again now at verse fifty. I tell you this, brothers: flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
That's the rest of our text today, taking us through the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this is the section, Pastor Belt, where we often read, at least maybe not all these verses, but most of these verses, potentially at a Christian graveside. Help us with Paul's opening verse, verse 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. So in the Bible, right, the place where God dwells, the the heaven above, and you get this a a little bit in Luke 2 here, right? The glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. Or when Jesus in the Gospel of John says, I am from above, you are from below. Uh, It's almost like two different worlds here. And and since God's kingdom above is coming down to earth below, just like we, what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, right? since that's happening, what's here on earth below can't stay the way it is. It has to be transformed. It, you know, if we want to talk about the idea of consummation, right? The, what's coming on the last day is the consummation of the creation, the bride with the bridegroom. And when we keep that image in mind, right, the, the two are becoming that one. All right, God is bringing that unity together. And so what is flesh and blood? What is perishable? This stuff can't hang on to what God is bringing. Uh, I was, uh, Bo Geertz, he, his, his Easter sermon, he does a wonderful job on this thought. When he's talking about how Jesus, he's like here one moment, and then he's gone, and he, he's, you know, then he shows up elsewhere. And he kind of makes it, I, the connection. I, I like this. He says that it's like this, this creation can't hold him anymore, right? And Death has no dominion over him, but nothing here can anymore. So he's here, but he's like, don't cling to me because I'm not sticking around, um, right? Because he can't be held here anymore. He's just not, it's almost like, you know, maybe these Lewis's, C.S. Lewis's terms here, right? He's, he's more solid um, than what the current creation is. Um, and so, right, what, so likewise with us, we can't be this way when that kingdom comes, when God's reign happens in its fullness, on the last day. We have to change. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So then Paul comes to the, the matter of a mystery. He highlights it even. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And this is this is where the typical graveside reading will pick up. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the term mystery that Paul uses here. Yeah, you know, mystery in the Bible, it always kind of denotes something that God has kind of kept close to the chest, but now it's being made known, right, for the proper time. You don't, you don't just say this all at once. It has to be revealed in good order. Uh, and so Paul here is telling us how something's going to work. And, and when Paul makes something known about how God is going to do something, there's still kind of a, how's that going to look yet? But yet Paul's also saying, this is how it's going to be. And in this point, example, the mystery that he's making known, that he's broadcasting, is that we all will not be sown, right? There will be a generation who will be alive, who is still suffering from the present effects of this creation that has not died when Jesus comes back. And so now he's going to deal with this point, because maybe that's, you know, that's the next kind of line of thought, is that there will be people here that see the Lord Jesus Christ come. And what's going to happen to them then? Because if they're not sown into the ground, how, how are they going to be changed? How is that corn stalk going to grow up? Um, and so Paul here is going to kind of enlighten them. He says that we will all be changed, made different um, in that moment, as he says. Yeah, yeah, this is a marvelous, marvelous text. And so that there are not actually two things that are certain, death and taxes. <laughs> death is not actually a certainty for you, dear Christian. The Lord can return before you die. So you bet you probably still have to pay your taxes. Come, Lord Jesus, come, right? That's right. For both counts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, so we will, even if we don't die, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And Paul describes it happening just like that, in a yeah. moment in the twinkling of an eye and the trumpet's going to sound. You know, we just, uh, 
as this recording is being done, right, we just got done with Thanksgiving, and the reading for Thanksgiving is always the ten lepers. And, you know, they cry out, you know, Jesus, have mercy on us. He's like, hey, go show yourself to the priest there in Luke 17. And, and as they go, we're told that they were healed. They were cha- and I got to wonder, did, was it, it wasn't slow. It probably was just a boom, it happens. And you got to wonder, did they look down like, whoa, my hand is fine. You know, just like, it looked, oh, the rest of me is good too. I got to wonder, that'll be how it is for us too, right? The, the Lord will return that, you know, the, the twinkling of the eye, you know, the eye blinking. And the last trumpet sounds, and all of a sudden we look and, Whoa, the corn stalks here. Um, God will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what we say, right? What he has begun, this good work, he will bring to completion. So we're not going to miss out. It's not like, oh, everyone else has changed and I'm still stuck in this. Um, We also will experience the resurrection without having to go through death itself uh, to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at that moment then, with the dead being raised, we are all changed. We are given these resurrection bodies, these new bodies, this different kind of body, that is the perishable putting on the imperishable, the mortal putting on immortality. That's that's all clothing language right there. Yeah. And you know, I just was talking to a member earlier this week, you know, doing a shut-in visit, and, and she said, Pastor, I can feel the decline in my health. Or, I, I don't feel good. And just to imagine this moment, the moment that the the perishable puts on the imperishable. The immortal puts on the uh, you know, the mortal puts on the immortal. Just that feeling of all of a sudden, wow. I don't feel decline anymore, right? Just to, to feel soundness in our flesh on all counts, right? The, the what people would experience when Jesus either raised the dead or or made blind, right? Jesus is just doing little piecemeal stuff um, in the Gospels, right? What he's going to do on the last day with the same power that now enables him to subject all things to himself, as Paul would write, right? He's going to change everything for everyone. It's not just going to be a little you know, blindness that gets fixed here and there for people. It is a total makeover uh, and renovation in that way. So, beautiful thing. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you can't just help but start to pray, come Lord Jesus, come as you Lord read Jesus. this text. Yeah. Come quickly. Now, Paul says when this happens... Death is swallowed up in victory, and he asks some questions. He's quoting from some Old Testament passages here. What's going on in 54 and 55? Yeah, you talk about funeral service. Uh, If someone doesn't really know what they want for a text of Scripture when it comes to their funeral, I love Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Um, It's probably what I would do for mine. And the the idea of that passage is that God sets up a feast for people. And it's the feast of uh, the well-aged food, the fat of the, the best part of the meat, uh, the well wine, well refined, and all of that, and then we're told that as they're eating this, God swallows up death on this mountain, right? Golgotha, He swallows up death. So God feasts on death while we're feasting on what He provides, and uh, then you know, there's this verse is quoted then from there, from Isaiah chapter 25, verse eight, right? The death has been swallowed up by victory, right? The death took the hook of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Chrysostom would say in his Easter sermon. Right? And it swallowed up and found his divinity, and it was defeated. Right? So death has been made captive. Um, and you know, death is always seen as a sw- swallows up everything. The, the scriptures always talk about the grave opens up like its mouth and eats people, um, and nothing can stop it. And yet here, death, which swallows up everything, death itself gets swallowed up by life. Um, and so Paul's here quoting this image. And when, so when the day of the resurrection happens, uh, we're going to see Isaiah chapter 25 right before our eyes. And what a thing to behold. 
Yeah, right along with Isaiah, right next to us, man. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> and he'll say, hey, so, I wrote this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And he's going to be rejoicing to see it along with, with us. Now, in verse 56, then, he, he says, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but then he, he rejoices in doxology. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So as we hear this verse, very, very potent verses here, uh, especially for anyone who wants to put their hope in the law, right? The law which tells that good and righteous will of God, which tells us what we should and be. Uh, yet here the gospel is giving that. Uh, the resurrection is providing what our natural bodies cannot do, right? What the law could not do, God has done, um, as Paul would elsewhere say in Romans. And all died because of sin, right? That's, that's why we're sown, because of sin. It's that poison that this grows up and matures and kills us. Um, and yet, what is the, what's the power of sin, right? The, sting, the power of sin is the law, right? Um, and that's kind of, you know, think about that, for example, right? It's not because the law is bad, uh, but because of our sin, that sin uses God's law then to kill us. Um, but what a, uh, talk about a, a mystery, how wonderful it is that because of Jesus Christ, that law has been fulfilled in Him, and that curse has been removed from us, and we are now brought into this new life with God because of his sheer gift. Um, so as Paul would say, right, the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets tell us all about it, um, now we have this gift that is ours through Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now, Pastor Bell, we've got about two minutes here in the morning, oh, and we've got one verse left, which is where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he has said that if if we have hope only for this life, then we are most to be pitied. So he's definitely given us the hope for the resurrection and the life of the world to come. But he does come back now to tell us, hey, this does make a difference for you right now, dear Corinthians. Now help us to, to see verse 58 and to wrap things up this morning. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about our daily life and, you know, I pray, come Lord Jesus, come. But now this fuels what I have to do. Uh, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm a man. There's work to do in there that's blessed, right? Keeping that idea of the continuity of our body. I don't just sit here and twiddle my thumbs like, all right, Jesus, when are you coming back? Uh, now it gives purpose and fuel and drive to my work. Um, the things that God has provided for my body now, right, is but maybe a, a precursor for that life. It won't be in vain. Everything that we do now it will be fulfilled. God will reach it. Um, God will complete it. Every work that we do, it won't be lost on God. And God will reward that too, right? The resurrection comes also with the rewards that Christ gives. Just like in all the parables when Jesus tells, hey, uh, to you shall be given five cities, you know, to you this. There's a reward coming for the work done now. So Paul doesn't want them to lose hope. He doesn't want them just to be sitting back and saying, well, since we're just waiting for Jesus to come, no point doing anything today, right? He is also saying, this work, this hope that we have gives us hope for what is to come as well. Um, to keep with that idea of love, right? The greatest of these is love uh, because that's what we'll be doing for all eternity. So we can start doing that now, um, looking forward to what will also come in its fullness and fruition and completeness on the last day. We have that gift now by faith and we'll have it then by sight. Pastor Andrew Belt is pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. He's been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. Pastor Belt, thanks for being our guest today. It's been a joy. Thank you. 
Christ is coming. He is coming soon, and at that moment, we will be changed. He will grant to us the immortal, imperishable body of the resurrection that gives us hope for the life of the world to come and fuels us now to know that the labor we do in the Lord is not in vain. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians 15, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.